Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Trinity Episcopal Pocatello podcast. Peace be with you. Today's podcast took place on Good Shepherd Sunday, a day we set aside to examine the gospel lesson of the Good Shepherd, as well as Psalm 23, likely the most beloved and oft-memorized psalm in all of Christianity. Reverend Haiti focuses in on this psalm, as well as our lesson from Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43, and speaks about trusting the shepherd who always guides us. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's one of the best-known verses of the Bible. We see today's psalm in Sunday school classrooms, on the walls of friends' homes, on the covers of planners, For generations, it was the essential psalm that all children were supposed to memorize. It wasn't a hardship. It's short, always a good quality in a psalm, and it's appealing. It's images of green pastures and still waters and feasting, of being guided and cared for, can speak to us at any age. We heard our choir sing a musical setting of it on Easter Day. It was delicate and joyful and very right for a day of celebration. Maybe because so many children did memorize this psalm, it's often one of the last prayers we hold on to at the end of our lives. More than once I've sat with someone who seemed to be sleeping through other prayers And we got to this one in the Old King James translation, and suddenly their lips began to move as they joined me in prayer. They cherished the psalm since childhood. It's a comfort when they are reaching for comfort. And then when it's time to lay them to rest, we come together here or at the cemetery or in a funeral home, and we say it again trusting that they really will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But today's psalm is more than pretty images and happy assertions. If it weren't, it wouldn't have the power it does. Today's psalm speaks to people across the millennia who know that life can be nasty and brutish and short. People who know that as sheep, we live in a desert where pasturage can be hard to find. Where our paths may be steep and rocky, our footing uncertain, the sheer drop on one side of us terrifying. Where thieves plot to grab us, where wolves lie in wait to do worse. Where we find real enemies and real deprivation. It's in this kind of experience 
The valley of the shadow of death that today's first reading begins. Begins in Joppa, where one of the believers has died. Tabitha. The rest of the believers are devastated. They're heartbroken because they loved her. They're crying as they point to the things she made, the gifts that remind them of her. They're shaken because for them she was a role model. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity, the writer tells us. She went out of her way to tend to those in need. It may seem unfair that she was taken so soon. And the believers are anxious because Tabitha was apparently one of the people who kept their community going. The fact that she had a Greek name, Dorcas, as well as her Aramaic one, suggests that she may have had some social position, can be useful. The fact that she gave clothing to others, and clothing wasn't cheap, suggests that she may have been a little better off. Whether she had a lot or a little, she was clearly generous in sharing. Perhaps the others had come to depend on her. Every group of believers suffers losses like this. They're always hard. But Tabitha's death may also have been devastating for a reason that seems a little less familiar. This congregation probably wasn't expecting any of its members to die before Jesus returned. We know from Paul's letters that this was a big problem for some of the earliest believers. If Tabitha has missed the big event that they're all waiting for, what's going to happen to her? And if someone as faithful and generous as she was could miss it, what if others can too? What if all of them can? What if time picks them off one by one until there's no community left? No witness left to the things they've believed in so passionately that they've given so much up for? What if some of those things turn out not to be true? 2,000 years later, you and I probably aren't all that shocked by the idea that a faithful Christian might die before Jesus' return. I've seen it happen once or twice. But I suspect that some of their other questions aren't all that different from ours. We look at the shrinking of our own congregation and of so many churches like ours. We look at challenges to human safety and liberty. We look at inflation and drought and disease. Like those earliest believers, we don't know what the path ahead of us looks like. We could use a shepherd. So the believers in Joppa send some messengers off to Peter. They need direction. They need comfort. And on a practical level, they need to figure out what you do when you bury a Christian. They've always followed Jewish rites. But do those rites still make sense to them after Jesus' resurrection? Shouldn't there be something a little different? Maybe Peter will know. I don't think they have any expectation that Peter is going to revive Tabitha. Yes, he's just healed Aeneas, but that's not the same. 
Peter's never brought anyone back to life after they've gone. The believers have washed Tabitha's body. They've laid it out. Sounds to me like they're hoping for help with the burial. But you know what the story says happens next. Peter gets there. He goes upstairs to where the body is, sends everyone else away. He prays, and he tells Tabitha to get up. And she does. Now, this story, this part of the story, has been more challenging for some readers than for others. Even if we accept every word of it, we might reasonably wonder what exactly God is up to here. It's not like Tabitha is going to stay alive until Jesus' return. It's not like every other dead or dying believer is going to be miraculously revived when their time comes. Doesn't Tabitha's revival create false hope? What's the point? Now, surprisingly, I cannot read God's mind. I can't know what God thinks the point is. But I can tell you what I see when I look at this story. I see a group of believers who find the reassurance they need that their shepherd is still with them, still guiding them, even through the valley of the shadow of death. I see a group of neighbors who hear the story and decide to follow that shepherd because of it. I see how a small band of believers waiting for the end can turn into a larger group of believers ready for a new beginning. I can see how a community anxious about its losses can turn into one that rejoices in having more than enough. Miracle didn't last forever, it's true. But the next time Tabitha died, maybe the believers in Joppa were readier for that loss. Maybe they'd figured out that Jesus' return wasn't going to be as simple or as soon as they had first imagined. We know they kept trusting. They kept reciting the Psalms. They kept telling the story of this woman whom they had been blessed to live and work and pray with. And I believe their witness to God's love and God's mercy grew the church every bit as much as the apostles preaching. You and I are the inheritors of that witness. Today we may be facing new turning points in our own history, but our calling is much as it ever was. Like Tabitha, we're called to good works and acts of charity. Like the Christian community at Joppa, we are called to follow the Good Shepherd to stick together and listen and trust, to rejoice in the shepherd's goodness, to be ready for our next beginning. And if you never did have to memorize today's psalm, today might be a good place to start. Amen. We are grateful you've listened today 
and we hope you found something helpful in today's episode. Our mission is to weave God's unfinished tapestry, and by listening, you are a part of that mission. So thank you. If you would like to know more about our parish or the Episcopal Church, you can find us online at www.trinitypocatello.org. Thanks be to God.